So in looking at Reformation for this week, I wanted us to look at the topic of how we are reformed through our mistakes. How we are reformed through our mistakes. Now, some mistakes are obvious. They show up quite matter-of-factly, don't they? You see them, everybody else see them. Then there are others that only you see. One of the hardest things about when God moves is that you don't know if he moved because you got it right or not. You know, as a, as a pastor and a leader, the Lord will bless people despite the leader because he loves you. And I've seen the Lord move. I know a man who, a pastor who had one of the greatest revivals in his church in, about, about marriage. And couples were coming together for a whole year. He focused on marriage. And it was the greatest revival in his church and the greatest outpouring, only to find out the entire year he was having an affair. The tricky thing about the move of God is that it's not contingent upon you. Now, that's a blessing, but it's also could be deceiving if you don't recognize that just because it worked doesn't mean you were right. And so many times people get caught up about how God uses them. And they feel like since he's using me, I must be doing everything right. Can I just tell you that ain't true? It's not true. By the time you become a leader, you have to have a relationship with God that regardless of the outcome, I can still hear you prick my heart. That kind of thing keeps you humble, keeps you low. People are like, oh, praise the Lord, that was powerful. Mm, was it though? <laughs> the Lord is using you, is he? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> and if you're not careful, people will blow your head up. And then new saints will come in thinking, I just want to be used by God. And they'll get so caught up in being used and the whole time their soul, their soul is sinking. Some mistakes are only obvious by you. You know, let's take you out of leadership. Some of us, we're just good at hiding things. We're just good at it, you know. We don't know where we got it from, but we were just born with it. We can smile on the outside and break on the inside. We can be angry and smile and, and then want to stab you and you don't even know. And some of y'all is real good at it. I've, I've seen you. I've had meetings with you. I'm like, sister, such and such. You be like, mm-hmm. On the inside, you're like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa. Hey, I don't know if you know this. I can kind of see your insides a little bit. You're like, can you see that? Yes. In this particular meeting, I can. And the father recognizes that there are some mistakes that only you and him know that you made. But no matter the type, look at y'all, I got 10. Somebody said, hmm. <laughs> Somebody look, can you see my mistake? Because I can tell you about this one. We're coming for it. We are. We are. But the truth about mistakes, if you really need to know, is that you cannot be successful without them. You can't. I know you're, you're, you're feeling guilty and ashamed. You're feeling like I done messed up. And this is about to be a whole message about my mess ups. This is true. It is. But <laughs> overall, I need you to recognize that scared money don't. If you want to grow in something, you have to take risks. And risks mean making mistakes. 
And in some cases, a mistake is unavoidable. Like it is a necessity to actually accomplish the thing. I know, you don't even know that. You always thought that if I really just try and think and really ponder and pray and then everything, and then all the spirit of God just on me and then everything is just lining up, then, then, pastor, I will be mistake free in this. No. Some things you can only do by way of the mistake. It comes with it and it's unavoidable. Right? Like what, pastor? I'm glad you asked. Like learning to ride a bike. You can read a manual uh, learning to ride a bike all you want. You can watch videos and clips, and they can tell you when you get on the bike, you pedal. You pedal real hard. And while you're pedaling, you just don't stop pedaling. And when you feel like you're going to tip, go the other way. And you feel like you're going to go the other way. And then you just kind of balance, and you read them, and you talk about center of gravity and pedaling and momentum and forward. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to get on this bike, and I'm going to do it. Did you? Did you do it? I know adults that still haven't learned to ride a bike. You know why? Because they're afraid of falling. Adults that, are, that don't know how to swim. Do you know why? Because they're afraid of drowning. In three foot water with your five foot three self, you still can't fathom how it's okay for you at this juncture in your life to learn how to swim because you're taller than the water. Deliverance is on its way. Deliverance is on its way. Some of y'all have such an aversion to making a mistake and failing that it is unreasonable. And there's no way you could grow any further in life until you conquer this fear of mistakes and falling. You can just stand up. I've taught people how to swim before. They're like, I can't do it. I'm like, but you can just stand up. If you ever feel like you're sinking, stand up. You're not a kid anymore. You're bigger than the water. When you had to learn to ride a bike, <laughs> when you had to learn to ride a bicycle, how many people fail? Everybody. You cannot, even though you read about it, even though you understood it, and they told you, you saw other people doing it, the only way you were going to learn to ride a bicycle is if you fail. Because certain things, even though you have the skill set understood, the mechanics have not been developed in your system. There are some things that you need, you know, but you do not have the mechanics to do. You need the mechanics. I could tell you, hold yourself up, but you don't really know what holding yourself up is until you get on that back. You be like, oh, 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 oh. That's what holding yourself up is. You know, when you try going falling the other way, lean in the opposite direction. You like, lean in the opposite. I am falling this way. Use all your might and lean the other way and keep pedaling and keep pedaling and keep pedaling. If you feel like you're going to fall, don't stop pedaling. How do I not stop pedaling? I'm going to fall. I want to take my feet and put them on the ground. And the only way anybody's ever learned is that they had to be okay with falling off the bike. This is why they try to get you to do it when you're young. Before you got back problems, knee problems, dealing with gout and stuff. You know what I'm saying? This is a good time when you're young and spry and you bounce back. You know, Now you're six foot three trying to learn how to fight. You're going to fall and fall hard. Hello? So it's a benefit to learning some things that are always going to cause falling when you're young. Now, you still got to learn them when you get old, but the penalty is greater. The recovery is harder. Y'all don't want to help me today. 
You know, we had some ministers in training. <laughs> and out of the whole class, we started with 12. That 12 doing the down to seven. That seven doing the down to five, I think it was. That actually got ordained and licensed. And then, we, and then after a year of those, then only two remained. Just two. And the issue with our ministry is in training because your ministry tab, you get it, and then I can take it back after a year. You're under review. <laughs> it's not like ordination. We're seeing if you have the mechanics. You've got the skill. You've got the heart. But do you have the mechanics? How to get all of that to work in the right direction to produce the outcome that is necessary. All right? And I recognize that unlike me, I started riding a bike, became ordained young, too young. If you ask me, I would say, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get ordained. Just get a license and just stay training forever. Because being ordained young meant that I was really big and really young at the same time. I was prone to make mistakes, the same mistakes that any young adult was going to make, but I was going to make them with a big old position. Costing a ton of hurt and damage. So when I saw my ministers in training, recognizing how young they were, I said, are you sure you want to do this? Because you're about to make a ton of young mistakes. And do you want the weight of all these young mistakes? Because I will kill you. If you mess with my church. They said, no, we just want to wait. Just, just, we don't wait. We just iron out some things in ourselves. It was smart, smart move. Because lo and behold, they still made them same dumb mistakes. And I still had to minister to them through them same foolish mistakes. But the weight of my entire church was not resting in their hands. That's wisdom. Wisdom. Huh? Right? So the idea here is everything that you're going to do that you need to succeed in is going to require failure and mistakes. And if you don't learn how to handle failure and mistakes, how to conquer the fear of it, then you will never grow. Anybody still having a hard time conquering the fear of certain mistakes? Right. Right. Like you really would, but... Some of y'all slow to the draw because you're still trying to figure it out. Like, okay, hold on now. Let me, hold on, hold on, hold on. I see, hold on, hold on. Hmm. Okay, so if I take, take the job and then I move. And then I, okay, I switched it and then I go over here. Hmm, never mind. And you just stop right there. You just, you just have a whole brain freeze and you just stop. Because all the possibilities of all that could go wrong have so inundated your mindset that now you can't even move no further. Somebody needs deliverance today. You're so afraid of what's going to happen when you make a mistake that it froze you in the same age group that you should have never stayed in. Now, in cases like this, all you need is a good support system, right? Somebody to say, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. But you're going to make the kind of mistakes that we can recover from. That's the plan. I'm going to give you not 200 pounds, 10. I'm going to give you 10 pounds. If you drop 10 pounds, no sweat. You drop 200 pounds, we have a problem. So let's talk about mistakes. There are four types. 
four types of mistakes. I know. All mistakes, all mistakes can be boiled down to four. Just four. I want you to listen to them first, and then I'm going to show you a diagram of where I want you to place them in your notes, okay? The first type of mistake is an aha moment mistake. It's the kind of mistake that you didn't know that you didn't know until you realized you didn't know it, and that was after the mistake. And you were like, aha, I got it now. And you wish you would have had it before the mistake. Like you just can't fathom how you did not put these two things together. But lo and behold, you did the mistake. And then the mistake said, aha, that's where I went wrong. That's an aha mistake. Uh, the second mistake is a sloppy mistake. <clears throat> it's sloppy. It means you were careless. You lost focus. You knew what to do, but you did not maintain what you were supposed to be doing. Something got your attention, something diverted you, something got you off. This is called a sloppy mistake. You knew it could have been avoidable, and you knew how to make sure it didn't happen, but in the mix of everything that was going on, it, it, it just, oops. Maybe you got too emotional, too sad, too angry, too frustrated. Maybe you were rushing. Maybe you were anxious and worried. Maybe you were disappointed and brokenhearted. And out of those emotions came a drastic mistake. These are called sloppy mistakes. I know, these are real terms. These are real psychological terms. <laughs> You're like, did you make these up? No. All psychologists use them. <laughs> Look at there. The next is a stretch mistake. <clears throat> a stretch mistake. A stretch mistake is when you're trying to do something that you haven't learned with things that you've already learned. When you're trying to do something that you haven't learned to do with things that you have learned. So you go, hmm, I know how to boil water. I know how to scramble eggs. I'm gonna poach an egg. Nope, 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 nope. It's not, it's gonna go oop and doop. You got two concepts that you have learned and then you try to stretch yourself to do this other thing that you really have not learned but you told yourself, considering I know how to do this and I always know how to do this, that I'm pretty sure this is how this thing goes. That's. That's a stretch mistake, <laughs> right? And then the last one, the last of the four, is a high stakes mistake. This is, as you can tell by your groans, this is the most dangerous of all the mistakes. This mistake says that you are putting way too much on the line. You're putting it on the line and you're risking it, but not in a good way. You're playing the probability. You're going randomly, taking a shot in the dark, hoping for the best with something that is far too valuable. A lot of you do that with relationships. And I try to tell you, don't put that much on the line. 
But you say, oh, but I love him and I love her and I know this is going to go the distance. And I'd be thinking, no. <laughs> you don't know how much you're really putting on the line in this case. Your soul, your emotions, your money, your purpose, your destiny, all these things that God wants to do, you're putting it on the line. Your calling, your ministry, your relationship with the Father himself, you know it's going to take a hit. <clears throat> and you just kind of say, well, if it happens, it happens. If it happens, if it happens, you are something else. You're going to put all that on the line, all that God has done, all that he is doing, and you're going to put it on the line for this ninja? I don't even understand why you would even, I mean, she's all right, but my God, I don't, I don't get it. That's a high stakes mistake, real high stakes. Now let's look at a chart so you'll know where to place these because we're going to look at several biblical characters that have made these types of mistakes that you might recognize how you need to undo these things, not do these things and avoid these things if possible. And whenever not possible, how to recover. How to recover. We have to break the fear of making mistakes. A lot of my golden retrievers are like this. Hello? Even my ace boost cool, my number one administrator, Sister Lakeisha, is like this. She hates making mistakes. She makes one mistake, she comes undone. And I know you're thinking, I don't, but you don't even know how much these mistakes cost her on the inside. And if you know what it's like working with me, do you? Do you? Do you? Do you know what it's like working with me? Do, do you? The type of meticulousness I have in everything. Can you imagine being under the microscope for every single thing in your personal life, in your church life, in your ministry life, and you expect her to be aces on all? Nope, nope, nope. Working with me just might make you crazy. Just might. But there could be a fear of mistakes to the point where you are rendered powerless. What if I told you that mistakes are necessary and a part of your journey? I've made so many mistakes as a pastor, so many. Things I can't undo, things I can't go back and undo. But from some of them, if not all of them, I've learned some of the biggest lessons imaginable. One of my largest mistakes, just so you won't feel so bad, I'll be transparent. Years ago when we first started this church, before this I had a nonprofit for battered women and teen mothers. One of the mothers came through my program, she ended up going to law school. She struggled with depression. This is before I was a minister. Then later during the course, I became an ordained minister. By the time I started this church, she had left the program, moved to Atlanta, and she was doing her own thing. Two years later, the church was two years old, my mom ran into her. She got her number. She said, oh, I ran into such and such. Yeah. She said, I ran into such and such. Her name was Keisha. She said, I ran into Keisha, you've got to give her a call, here's her number. I said, oh good, I was wondering how she was doing since law school. She said, yeah, you got you, I want you to give her a call. I said, okay. A Couple weeks went by, I didn't call her. Mommy said, hey, did you call Keisha? No, I haven't had a chance, I haven't had a chance to call her, but I'm, I'm a caller, I'm a caller. You know, new church, 
busy schedule. More weeks went by. And then one day, after about a couple of months, I completely forgot to call her. I found out that Keisha had killed herself Jesus. and her two kids. Jesus. And my heart was broken. And I knew that I needed to call her, but it was too late. That's one of those types of mistakes that you don't recognize is a high stake mistake. But it taught me to be a lot more careful with you. And my only prayer is that from that mistake and her life, that I could be a better pastor. That when the spirit of the Lord moves for me to call and to reach out, that I'm there. And have you seen that I show up right? You can give God glory to Keisha for that. That's one of those high stake lessons that I wish I could undo. But at the end of the day, I have to thank God because I vowed not to let that happen again. Mistakes are inevitable. But you could imagine as a young pastor in a young church, this is a good enough reason to stop. Let's quit. Let's shut down. You don't have what it takes. But we didn't. And we kept moving. Some mistakes are going to happen. And we're prone to quit. But you have to remember, did you call you? Or did God? We're going to look at some lessons of some biblical characters that God called. And they were full of mistakes. I mean, a ton. And for some reason, all these mistakes did not stop God from using them in most cases. <laughs> in most cases. All right, let's look at the chart. So if you're listening on podcast today, I'm going to try to describe this chart for you. You have an X and Y axis. And on the X axis, which is the horizontal Axis. Some, yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you have intentionality. Intentionality runs from left to right, from zero, the low, to high, the right, is your intentionality. How intentional are you when you make this mistake? Was it oops, completely by accident, or I was focused and it still happened? The inten I, was, I was very intentional about what I was doing. I really had a plan. I really mapped it out. Or I had no plan. Just spontaneously happened. I just jumped out there and did it. On the y-axis, from uh, zero up, all right, we have your learning opportunity. How much you can learn. On the y-axis, you can learn from high to higher. That's it. High to higher. Your learning opportunity is only from high to higher. That means at every mistake, it is a high possibility to learn something. And the only thing you change is how much you can learn from high to higher. Now, we're going to number these quadrants. You got four types of mistakes. We've got four quadrants running along the X and Y axis in the space that you would mark your coordinates if you remember high school algebra, okay? On the bottom left quadrant, you have the sloppy mistakes. Above that, on the top left, to my podcast listeners, you have the aha moment mistakes. 
to the right of the aha moments, on the uh, X side of the axis to the right, you have the stretch mistakes. And then below that, you have the high stakes mistakes. As you move from left to right, you move from how intentional you are, uh, from a little bit intentional to a lot of bit intentional. When you move over, as, as you can tell, your high intentional mistakes are on the right-hand side, and that's your stretch mistakes and your high-stakes high mistakes. These two things you are focused on, and you really are putting a lot of thought into it, and it still goes oop and a doop, right? On your low intentionality, when you're really not thinking about it, you have your sloppy mistakes and your aha moment. These are things that you really did not intend at all. You were not really intending to do this, and it just went awry. All right, as you move up, uh, on the along the uh, y-axis, sloppy mistakes and high mistakes, high stakes mistakes. You have very little to learn. All right, it's a high. It's just not as much. Why? Because a sloppy mistake, you know already. It was just because I was rushing. It was because I wasn't focused. Yeah. Everything you needed to know, you already knew. You just were sloppy with it, right? On your high stakes mistake, you knew everything, which is why you was willing to do it, but you just had a lot on the line. Make sense? As you move up in your learning ability, when you get to aha moments, there's definitely a lot to learn. And when you get to stretch mistakes, there's a lot to learn, okay? Remember that stretch mistakes are the kind of mistakes when you have uh, an idea of some things, you've learned some things, and you try to do some new things that you have not learned with those things that you do know. This, to me, stretch mistakes, I love them. That's my favorite. Out of all the mistakes, I love stretch mistakes. I love them for you. I love them for the church. I love them for my ministers. I love stretch mistakes. I love it when you try to do something with stuff you already know to do. And then it goes womp womp. You hate it because you really thought, I'm about to bust it on this. Watch this. I'm about to do it. I'm about to do it. And, and then it goes, mm mm. Mm mm. You're like, how? I'm like, yeah, no. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Because in that moment, you're going to learn so much because that's the only way when it comes to stretch mistakes, the only way to actually learn to do that is by making that mistake. You thought these things are, are avoidable. In stretch mistakes, they are not avoidable. You tried, right? Yeah, exactly. Amen? All right. All right, that's my favorite. And similarly, you can tell my least favorite. Anybody know? Sloppy, Sloppy mistakes! <laughs> Sloppy mistakes are my least favorite. The ones where you were careless. You didn't seek wisdom, wise counsel. You were too emotional. There are some mistakes that you make because you are too emotional. And you should have knew better not to make no kind of decisions when you are that emotional. But nevertheless, you make them and you expect them to go right. You was crazy. You too upset. You too not upset. You too something. You too lovey. You too lovey lovey. You too everything. Too much. I hate sloppy mistakes because they are so avoidable. The problem is that you don't have any temperance. Emotional self-control. You don't have any temperance. So you feel like I gotta make this decision right now, and then everything is running. Mm -mm. And I'm going, all of this could have been avoided if you would have slowed down. That's the best method for sloppy mistakes: is to slow down. 
I learned a chief lesson from Pastor Conine from Sloppy Mistakes. One day we were, we were you know, talking, and he was telling me about a big mistake he made, a sloppy mistake that had a high risk, but he didn't know it had a high risk. The church was doing remodels, and all the contractor people that were volunteering at the church was going to knock down a wall. And they were sitting there measuring stuff, talking about it, you know, beep, 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 taking the measuring stick. And he was like, all this talking, you know, they were debating stuff. He said, all this talking, I'll tell you how to knock down a wall. And he picked up a sledgehammer and he knocked down the wall himself. He said, that's all you got to do. And he hit and he hit it and a nail flew off, landed in a parishioner's eye and he was blind for the rest of his life in that eye. I heard this story, and through every church remodel that we've had, how much composure have you seen? We are calm down, slow down, read the manual, wear the goggles, put on the gloves. No matter how angry, no matter how frustrated, no matter how tired we are, slow down. I heard that lesson, and I said, this is true. That could be me. I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm talking about stuff. Get, 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 get some action. And I, I saw myself like, yeah, I'm going to tell you. That's all you got to do. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Messed up part about it. The man's eye that, that, it, that he messed up was his wife's best friend's husband. All the time. All the time. All the time. And their son is now the pastor of the church. Yeah, 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 it's the least you can do. He's more than qualified. Sloppy mistakes are the worst. In leadership in this house, you get reprimanded most for sloppy mistakes. Stretch mistakes, what have you learned? What did you see? I don't mind those. Sloppy mistakes? can't stand them high stakes mistakes are not given to you yet right they're just not not yet and then the last one those aha moment mistakes those I can't count I don't know what's about to be aha moment (laughs) I'm thinking you got it together I'm thinking you put it click click and then I realize it go do and you go aha I learned something I'm thinking but you didn't know that already why didn't you tell somebody? You just running around here and this stuff not clicking and you just, <laughs> you act like it's clicking. You need, to, you need to wear a sign, it's not clicking. You need, to, <laughs> you need to tell somebody. I don't know which one's about to be your aha moment and I am, I am perturbed. <laughs> but, but, but then I recognize some of y'all are prone to aha moments. So mentally, I've made a note of those that are prone to aha moments. You the aha member. <laughs> Don't ask me if it's you. It is you. It might get you that drink. Aha, okay? You was an aha member. Because everything you do is aha, pastor. Aha. I get it now. Aha. And I'll be like. How do you know if that's you? If I repeat myself three times and then I ask you to repeat it back to me, you are an aha member. Some of y'all laughing because you know, she do me like that. She just asked me the other day, now what did I say? And I told her. I told her what she said. I did, I told her. Because it's no guarantee even after you repeat it that you're going to get it. 
Go to the light, make a left. Got it. Got to the light. I thought you said right because on the, on the left side I saw the Bojangles and I made the right. No, that's not. And we even repeated it and you still, you still. But when I, but when I ran around and I, and I came back, I said, aha, there was the turn I was supposed to make. With these particular individuals, I have learned to not get upset. Everybody else is like, oh my God, you so crazy. How could you not? I'd be like, yeah, I know how you didn't. <laughs> he was, aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just take a deep breath and I go, I'm glad you figured it out. Lo- love you anyhow, huh? I'm like, you was an aha, aha. Those are the ones I can't count. Only you know that that thing didn't click. <laughs> Only you know. And then some of y'all are delusional. Y'all be like, it did click. Did it? You put two things that don't even go together, like garlic and name something, daddy. There you go, okay? You be like, they do go together. I be like, ugh. <laughs> ugh. In what world? It tastes not that bad. Not that bad. Food's supposed to taste amazing. Every time. <laughs> it's food. If it ain't going to be amazing, come on, Minister Hudson. What is the point? If it's not delicious, I don't eat it. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. All right, let's look at some characters in the Bible. Woo-wee. All right, let's look at some aha moments. Aha moments could be and are life-changing. Paul is an excellent example of this. Go to Acts 26, verse 14. Acts 26, verse 14. When you're there, say amen. And nobody's there. Acts 26, verse 14. Amen. I just need one. The rest of y'all, you'll find it. All right? Acts is in the book of the New Testament, okay? All right. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice... And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks. Before Paul became the writer of most of the New Testament, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a terror to the old early church. Not only was he present at Stephen's, the first Christian martyrs, crucif- uh, 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 martyrdom, He also gave permission for him to be killed. Paul was a defender of the Jewish belief and the Jewish synagogue and all of the priests, and he was an ardent defender, passionate. His passion was so great that he would kill anybody that he found was a Christian and was now on a hunt at this particular point in scripture to arrest all the Christians, men, women, and children, and then put them to death in order to cease the movement that Christ had caused. This man just had an aha moment. As light shone from heaven, a voice came, and Jesus himself showed up and asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? He was like, who are you? Is I Jesus? No. This is the key aha moment. Because Jesus himself 
came to tell you, you is wrong. You added one plus one and you got five. No, it was supposed to be two and I am it and it's all wrong. Can you imagine being so passionately wrong? I mean, not just a little bit quietly, okay? But you made announcements. You had flyers put up. You over here telling everybody. You got pictures and videos. And you were 100% wrong. I mean the worst kind of wrong. What I love about this statement is Jesus asked him, why are you kicking against the prick? A prick was a device used, as you know, um, by herdsmen. They're trying to get the, uh, the ox to go in a certain direction. They would poke him with a prick. But more specifically, it wasn't the poking. It was designed that if you got out of line, which most cases they would, the ox would get tired of being poked and he would kick it. Now, kicking it with your foot, not that much of a problem, okay? But most times, when you're kicking it with your foot, you're going to miss it and hit your leg, causing more pain and injury. So the herdsman is trying to get the ox to go in a particular direction. The ox doesn't want to go, so he taps him. Ox doesn't like that. Ox kicks. Foot misses the prick, gashes his leg. This happens so often that the ox just say, I'm tired of kicking against this thing, and I'm done. In essence, the only reason you're really in that much pain is because of you hurting yourself in resistance to where I'm trying to get you to go. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody here today. But you want to look at God and say, God, why are you bringing this much pain to my life? And he's going, it would not be this painful if you would stop resisting the direction I'm trying to get you to go in. And not only are you resisting it, you are aggressively resisting this direction. One thing, they'd be like, oh, I don't want to go, uh. Oh, no. Nah. You fight anything that's trying to push you in that direction. You sit in a message that is designed for you to go in a different direction, and you shut down. You start worrying about what the pastor say, what she look like, and how you, oh, you kicking against the prick. Tearing down everything that is trying to get you go, to go in the direction you're supposed to go in. What we miss about this particular thing is this was not a one-hit wonder for Paul. It wasn't that he was like, oh, Jews, we're right, Christians, you're wrong, and then all of a sudden, light. The use of this example by Jesus would indicate that he had been on dealing with the heart of Paul for quite some time. That over his persecutions and over his disdain for the Christian church, that the Lord was dealing with him the entire time. You've been in seasons when you know the Lord is dealing with you and he keeps dealing with you and trying to get you to go in a very specific path and you from your own understanding and knowledge and habits just keep trying to go in another way and that thing starts getting aggressive and then you start getting aggressive and now there's a lot of pain. So if you know the story, then you know that all this time that Paul was persecuting the church and all this time that Paul was, was coming after some of the Christian uh, leaders and followers, that the whole time God was dealing with them. Now, ain't it just like us? God started dealing with us about something. We can't be wrong, so we turn up the heat. 
It's got to work. So we turn up the heat. I got to make this work. I got to make it right. I got to show that it can be done. I got to be successful. I know this is what the Lord told me. And we just turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. And then you come to me, you be like, no, it's fine. I be like, you got all these stab wounds in your, in your leg. It, it's good. That's, that's, I know the Lord. No, no, that's not, that's not him. That's you. That is 100% you. You know, but these people, nah, uh that's you. What the situation, uh uh-uh, uh, that's you. Well, I just felt like if they would only, this is all you. There was a specific direction that the Lord was trying to get you to go in, and you resisted, and then you turned up the heat on your resistance. It's tough. And somebody gonna tell you, mm mm, but your spiritual self, it's the Lord. Mm mm, it's not the Lord. It is, and I'm the only one that can challenge you on this. The pastor say it wasn't the Lord. What she know? Uh. <laughs> I'm the only one. You be like, well, you know what? Let me, let me dial that down a little bit. Because everybody else with your super spiritual self be like, oh, they said the Lord say. What we going to say? Right? What we going to say? I'll say, I'll say, that is not the Lord. That's not him. Really? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I might say it nicely. I'm still going to tell you, that's not the Lord. You're pushing against a direction that the Lord wants you to go in. And it may not even have anything to do with the situation. It could be how he's trying to train you. You think he's trying to get you to, to make up with your friend and your family. No, he just wants you to understand how to talk to people, regardless of that person. It could be a whole different direction, and you only focused on one thing. So sometimes your aha moment is in that. Paul had a huge aha moment. Did he not? It was so great. By the time of the end of his ministry, and he's telling everybody how his conversion happened, he said, I was kicking against the prick. And he's in there trying to witness and almost saves the king. He went completely passionately the wrong direction. And the entire time he was going in the wrong direction, passionately, the Lord continued to deal with him. On the outside, it wouldn't appear as if the Lord was dealing with him. But on the inside, the Lord was constantly having him toss and turn, toss and turn. And why are these Christians kill? Why are they going to get up? They're going to go be killed, going to be killed for Jesus. This doesn't even make any sense. How is he the Messiah? How is he the Messiah? He can't be the Messiah. And this is constantly running in his head and constantly the Lord is really narrowing down his scope of movement, really putting him in a tighter and tighter spot. And you're thinking, something's wrong with my spot. Something's wrong with my position. The Lord is funneling you into this very tight situation to get you to a specific goal. And if you knew what it was, you wouldn't be kicking against this prick. So it's clear that you don't have the same goal in mind. You don't have the same goal. But check this. You've got the heart. Can you see that in his aha moment? He had all the, you know, the inward stuff. I just, God, be glorified, people, the kingdom. And then, oop, and a dupe, wrong way, so wrong. So wrong. We don't need to go to church. What we can do is we could all just meet at my house. And then we don't need to go to church. Everybody, meet at my house. Everybody's at my house. Why is everybody at my house? Don't put that down. Don't eat that. Who was you? Where'd you bring them from? No, it's cool. Who stole my watch? Where is my stuff? We need to stop meeting at my house. Yes, there is a reason. 
plenty of evangelists, prophets, and prophetesses have come in here with these grand ideas. And I say, if it's going to be a will, it's going to be a will regardless. But it's not like a church, like a normal church, like a no, no, it is. It is like a church, like a normal church, round like a wheel because it works. You kick it against the prick. There was already an establishment of how this should work, and it's been working for 2,000 plus years. I think you should, you should go in that direction. Hello? Refine it, but go in that direction. All right. So that's Paul. That's a good aha moment, right? All right, let's look at another. Let's look at a sloppy mistake. King David. The sloppiest of mistakes. You think it why well, words are sloppy? Well, let me show you. All right, go to 2 Samuel, is it? 2 Samuel chapter 11. David has become king. All right. God has taken the kingdom from Saul, a different kind of Saul, not Saul of Tarsus, Saul of the Old Testament. He's taken the kingdom from Saul and given it to David. David has been chased by Saul for years. All right constantly on his tail his whole early part of his ministry was just spent running from Saul first they was cool now Saul got jealous now Saul is out to kill him and David is doing his best to not be aggressive and serve the Lord and just real humble for the most part I would look at David's journey into becoming a king as a very successful journey under trials and tribulations he remained faithful to God he remained cool under pressure right always focused on the Lord <clears throat> but I would also note here that it's really easy to focus on God when Satan is on your heels My God. Yeah. when you have direct pressure of enemy and problems focusing on the Lord is a lot easier but when we lift up this direct pressure when we remove your actual sin when we deliver you from crack, uh -huh. when you no longer in the prostitute house, uh -huh. when all of a sudden you, your life got cleaned up, hello somebody, yeah. now making mistakes starts to look a little different. Let's look at King David for a second. If you know the story, King David slept with this woman named Bathsheba who was actually married and she got pregnant. He was a king, she was not his wife, but let's see how this happened. And if you know the story, he slept with her, got her pregnant, tried to get her husband to come sleep with his wife in order to hide the fact that David was the, the baby daddy. The husband said, nah, because we out in war. And what I look like resting. I'm not doing that. I'm loyal to the army, King David. King David was like, dang it. And then King David sent a letter by this man to the commander to have him put on the front lines, a man that cannot fight on the front lines, that he might die. And he did. So in essence, King David killed his, his cheat, his side chick's husband on purpose. This is King David. Now what you really got to recognize here is that when God picked King David to be king, he knew this was in him. I'd be like, don't pick me. If you knew this was in me, why did you pick me? This is a terrible idea. You need to pick somebody that is less prone to these types of mistakes. 
Because he didn't just have one mistake. That mistake just kept compiling. You didn't just sleep around. Then you lied about sleeping around. Then you slept with somebody who was an abomination to sleeping with somebody. Then you also kept going with it even after you said you was going to stop. I mean, you know, you just kept, you just. And the whole time, God has called you, chosen you, selected you. He be like, Why? So God knew this was in King David, and he still called him and made him a king. Crazy stuff. But let's look at where the sloppiness started. Second Samuel chapter 11, are you there? Yes. All right. It is in verse 1. The sloppiness is in verse 1. In verse 1. There it is right there. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. And his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. Sloppy mistake. Did you see that? All the kings. This is a time where kings went out to battle. In essence, what they're saying is it's spring. And it's time to go to war. Good weather. Good climate. Let's get out here. Let's take some land. And kings are like, it's on. It's battle time. What can we conquer? What can we take? And good kings always went to battle with their nation. They always went to battle in the front and with the nation. That's, that's the rule. People were valiant then. Like, oh, ha, ha, my king. Ha, 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 ha. And then they just fought even more. And it was just, just great. I guess King David was tired of fighting. The battle could be easy. I mean, it's just the Ammonites. Yeah, we can take them. So he sent somebody else in his place. And he laid back and took a break at a time he wasn't supposed to be taking a break. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. This is a sloppy mistake. You decided to take rest. You decided to lay back and chill. You decided to be easy at a time when it was definitely not a good time for you to lay back. You were supposed to be taking nations and kingdoms, and you over here relaxing. Not me. Uh-uh, I don't be right. You did. You said, I just need a break. I just need a break. I love when people say this to me as believers. They be fresh out of the bed with somebody. So I'm saying, I just need a break. You need a break. You just got delivered. What you need a break from? I be thinking, if you just got delivered, like, you know, God forgave you or some mess you fell into, and you come and tell me, yeah, I just need a break from church and stuff. You need a break from church. You, you need more church, more church, all the church. Every time the doors is open, I need to know that you was in there. You was there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. This is not the time for you to be resting in Jerusalem. This is a time for you to go out there and get double for your trouble. Get everything that the Satan stole from you. Go ahead and grab it all. Take it all. Take everything he got. Ravage his kingdom. Yes. Oh, my God. oh, you try to take a break. You ain't even deliver yourself. He did. And if not, look what happened. You fall right back in. Every time. Every time you would think that you'd be like, I'm, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to come back pumped. You don't. You take that break and then more breaks and then more breaks. Then you start looking at other believers like, why did it take so much? It don't take all of that. I mean, everybody got to go to church. Everybody got to do the same stuff. Everybody got to listen to the Bible. Oh, the Bible, Bible. Sometimes you need a break from the Bible. What? 
you start saying stuff like that, we be like, hmm. Ooh, <laughs> you out here killing people's wives and <laughs> you crazy. It's, it's going, yeah. Mm-hmm. Taking breaks means you're supposed to take a break. It happens in your personal life. There's a time that the Lord tells you to go get it, to press, to push, and you decide to slow down, rest. And I be thinking, rest from what? You need to take a break from living. That's stupid. Get out there. Make it happen. This is your season. Get it while the getting is good. Work while it's day. What is wrong with you? <sighs> I ain't never seen so many young people rest so much. <sighs> what you doing? I just had to get a little weed, take a break. One person, I said, well, how do you take a little weed? They said, every day. I said, you need a break every day? Every day you need a break? Every day? Every day? Well, ain't that wrong with smoking weed, Pastor? You was never going to be nothing in life at this rate. Never. 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 Minister, please tell them. Never. Never. Because there's going to be people out here that's going to go get it. And you're going to be... You know, sometimes you got to just let it go. You know, you got to chill and relax. And this becomes you every day. That's why there's average and then there's above average. Average is easy. Above average is hard. You want above average type of life with very average input. And I just feel like, why don't you just be honest with me? Tell me, Pastor, I want to be average. Pastor, I, I asked you, I said, so what you want to do in life? You want to, I asked one person, I said, well, how much money do you want to make? Well, it's not really about money. Okay. Oh. It's about the kingdom? No, not necessarily. I mean, I'm just not big on money. Mm. Okay. All right. So what do you want to do? Just do stuff to make myself happy. Mm. Okay. But that's, that's the generation. If it doesn't make you happy, you need to let it go. Happy? Average. Because in order to be successful, you have to have a large portion of your life that you are not very happy in and you succeed above it. I am telling you the truth. If it don't bring me joy, cut it. What? What? So a lot of stuff ain't going to bring you joy. You still got to do it. Oh, okay. See, this, this is the kind of stuff we be repeating. On the ground. They put a little music behind it on the reel. Bling, bling, bling. If it does not bring you joy, cut it. Bling, 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 bling. A lot of stuff don't bring me joy, but I do it because it's a necessity. It's needed. It's an obligation, which is not a bad word. It's a responsibility. It's for the betterment of somebody else. Y'all gonna be Christians or no? Golly. <laughs> God, if it don't bring me joy, but shut up. Man, go on, go on, somebody, go on, somebody. You're out here taking a break when you should be fighting, you should be in that grind, you should be making stuff happen. And David got caught resting when he shouldn't be resting, and that was tempting. And he went even more and more and more until you look at him as a king of honor that has lost all honor. How did he regain his situation? How did he get back to where he was supposed to get back to? Well, the woman's baby, she had the baby. The husband's dead. 
David takes her in, of course, makes an honest woman of her. He better had. The baby gets sick unto death. David starts praying and repenting and asking God to save this baby. And the baby dies. When David, when David hears that the baby dies, he gets dressed, stops fasting, stops praying, goes, eats, and carries on. Everybody's like, what is wrong with you? We just knew you was, you was almost half dead, fasting, refusing to eat, losing your mind when the baby was sick. And we just thought for sure you were really going to lose it when the baby died. He said, no, the Lord's will was done. See, it's something about when you make these sloppy mistakes that first you have to repent. And second, you have to be willing to take the consequences that come with that mistake. If you repent and you're willing to take the consequences, God will use you again. On a sloppy mistake, you have to repent, acknowledge what you did wrong, be willing to take the consequences. When God dished out them consequences, he said, yes and amen. Yes and amen. And he got up from there, right? And because of that, God used him again. But you can't do a sloppy mistake. I mean, I know it was wrong, but I don't think it's right that you're going to also give me this and also do this. And don't you think this is a bit much? All I did was, whoa, whoa. It's that heart that means you won't be used. Because God is fair. He's fair. And if you think that the consequences are too much that you can't handle them, then this should give you an indication about how wrong your wrong was. Is it too much? Is it lasting too long? Well, that should give you an indication of how the Lord feels about what you did. It was bigger than what you thought, involved more than what you thought it would involve. That's the reality of consequences when it comes to the Father. He's just. He's just. Do you feel bad? Absolutely. How bad? Too bad. I think this is too much. It's like this thing just won't die. It just won't go away. Yeah, it's not time for it to go away. These are the consequences. Well, how long are everybody going to be looking at me like I'm, a th- like I'm a thief? I don't know. Until they don't. These are the consequences. How long is everybody going to be treating me like I'm a liar? I don't know. These are the consequences. And it's hard for believers to hear that. But as your pastor, I have to encourage that you go through it and you go through it well, that he might use you again. And I say, baby, just give us some time. Baby, just give us some time. In due time, go in there right, Sister Danielle. In due time, in due season, people won't even associate that with you no more. Just keep pressing toward the Lord and accept the consequences. And every person I've ever seen do that, when they now look back, nobody can even remember the day that they did it. It's true. But you got to take the consequences. You got to bear them without complaint. Without complaint without complaint you got to if you want to be used because every day that the consequences linger you get to realize how this affected God and his kingdom every day and if you're connecting those two things together your heart is being ready for use 
But if all you're thinking about is how hard it is for you, how difficult it is for you, when is it going to end, how is it going to last, if, all you, if you're the focus of you during these consequences, you can't be used. Because your heart doesn't change. You put the kingdom and your Christianity on the line, and you're still willing to do the same thing because you are the center. Right? Amen? There's another sloppy mistake that was made by David. And if I really think about it, David had quite a few of sloppy mistakes. He did. He, had, he was, I mean, but you know it makes sense. Passionate people make a lot of sloppy mistakes. The goal isn't to remove the passion. It's to temper your actions. You got to keep the passion, but you've got to learn temperance. You got to learn temperance, slow down, ask for help, ask for wisdom, push back for a second, but keep your passion. Your passion is why he picked you. Your passion is why he chose you. I know you went the wrong way. I know it wasn't supposed to go down that way because of your passion, but don't lose the passion. Gain the wisdom and the temperance. David's second mistake has happened when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant. Thank you. When he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. They carry the Ark of the Covenant, get this, on a new cart. Seemed very nice, harmless enough, brand new cart. Why? It's the, it's the God's Ark of the Covenant, okay? Put it on a new cart. New cart ain't been used. Nice, brand new. Ta-da! Carrying this Ark on a, on a cart. The Ark began to tilt. Uzzah put his hand up on it to stop it from tilting. And what happened? Died. Dead, died. This is a high stakes, sloppy mistake. High stakes and sloppy. Both of them. A man died because David had a sloppy mistake. Right? He, did, he didn't pay attention. He was rushing. He didn't learn. He stretched mistake and that he was trying to do something that he never did before, only using what he already knew. And a man died. Sloppy, stretched, and high state. Whoo! Tough. 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 The thing about some of these high mistake, mistakes, high stakes mistakes, is that you really don't know when somebody else is getting ready to be involved. Uh, so far, we had two examples where somebody else was I I involved, and you didn't even know it. Pastor Conine couldn't anticipate that somebody was going to be involved. King David couldn't anticipate that somebody else was going to be involved. My mistake couldn't anticipate that somebody else was going to be involved, and yet other people are. This needs to be a lesson to you who think your mistakes are on an island. I'm not hurting nobody. Lies and spies! You're hurting plenty of people. You just can't see them now because of your passionate desires. Because of your self-centeredness. But a ton of people are hurting. It's not true. It's not true. Everything in our nature is connected. And everything about humans is connected. And everything about believers in the church of God is connected. That's the way it's designed. If you don't like it, get out of the body. Because we are a body. You don't like being connected? I don't like the fact that everybody always, everybody's going to always. Everybody's going to always. Everybody's going to always. Well, they always, yep, that's what we do. We always, we, we always. Everybody always. 
Whatever it is. Everybody always. You can stop saying it because it's a body. You use no common sense, Minister Hudson. Everybody always. Yes, it's a body. I need to go somewhere where everybody ain't always. Oh, okay. I don't know where that is. Where is this place? All right, let's look at another example. I want to look at another stretch mistake besides um, David's with the ark that was in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I want to look at um, one of our favorites. Ms. Husson gave a great sermon on this a while back. It's John Mark's desertion. That's a good stretch mistake. Go to Acts chapter 26. No, Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, um, the whole chapter pretty much, and it spans over the book of Acts. It starts in early in the book of Acts around chapter 12, and it picks back up in the 20-something chapter of Acts. But it's a story about a disciple named John Mark. Now, John Mark had an influential hand, hear the conclusion of this, in helping Peter write the Gospels and most of Peter's books, like First Peter, Second Peter, and maybe some other books he wrote, okay? But nevertheless, <laughs> John Mark was the one that assisted in writing these books, but how he assisted was full of stretch mistakes. So he was a young disciple, a young man, all right? His mother was wealthy. She was a wealthy Christian. And she had so much influence and wealth that when the disciples came into town in Jerusalem, they would all stay with her. She had a lot of money, big house, and she was a believer. So even when Paul got arrested, he knew when he got out and was freed miraculously where to go at John Mark's house, where all the disciples gathered. John Mark's family was an influential family in the Christian community, and it was a big deal. So at some point, Paul and Barnabas decided to go take another mission. They said, Barnabas, who is cousins of John Mark, said, Paul, why don't we bring my cousin, John Mark? Now at this point, I'm sure John Mark is elated. I've been sitting here every time y'all came in. I hear of your exploits. I hear of your missions trip and how God is moving and preaching the gospel. Oh, man, you, know, you, you calling me to go with y'all to be an assistant? I get to be assistant to Paul and Barnabas. Ooh, it's about to go down. <laughs> Exciting. I've heard so much. I've listened to the gospel. I sat at your feet. I'm ready. Let's go. They went. Things got crazy. John Mark left them in the middle of the journey. They was getting ready to go to a place that John Mark was not familiar with. And then the reality of all that he would have to face in a community and a culture that he was not familiar with, a lot of unknowns. Not only that, but back home, there was a famine in Jerusalem. His mom was there. Couple those two things together, he left. Deserted Paul and Barnabas. This is a stretch mistake. You tried to do something, that you were not ready to do. Some things are process. You have to learn them in process. It's not instant. Your ability to be the type of disciple that can take the persecution, to take the unknown, could leave behind your family and only pursue the things of God, come what may, that takes time. 
I cannot preach this the way I feel it. It takes time. And y'all launch out here and be like, I'm about to be the world's greatest disciple and pastor. Oh, pastor, I was trying to tell my friend the other day. I was like, friend, you need to know Jesus. Now I'm telling my family, family, you need to know Jesus. And they had a nerve to get mad at me. I was like, bump that. You don't have to get mad at me. God is still good. Then I went to my job. I told my coworker, you need to know Jesus. And I had a Bible study at my job. And they was like, oh, you crazy. You weird. Then my family don't like me. My friends don't like me. And my coworkers don't like me. But it's fine. It's all for the cause. No, no. People are supposed to like you. <laughs> Catch this. Some of y'all spiritual folk are be- bewildered by this. They are? Yes, you've done this all wrong. <laughs> no, uh Pastor. It's the Satan. That's why they don't like me. No, 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 no. It's you. It's you. You need to be in process about how you do ministry. It needs to be grown in you. You are not done, John Mark. Get your tail back in this boat and let's go. By the end, of course, of Paul's ministry, John Mark shows back up. Paul and Barnabas separated because Barnabas said, let's bring him back. Paul's like, no, he left us. Uh, He left us, bumped him. He ain't gone with us. You can go back on the second trip after we went and laid. And we gonna do. Everybody's going, when we go back, people are going to be like, yay, look at Paul. Look at Barnabas. Praise the Lord. Our church is still growing. He going to get to reap all them benefits? No. no. He wasn't there for the jump off. He ain't going to be there when it's all rewards. So Barnabas said, that's not nice. <laughs> Barnabas said, yeah, that's not enough compassion. Paul, who has a past of, of killing Christians. Come on, Paul. Paul's like, man, forget that. No. So Barnabas took John Mark, and we hear they dropped off the book of Acts. We didn't hear nothing about them after that. And then at Paul's last imprisonment before he died, John Mark, he calls for John Mark. John Mark comes and serves and is reestablished. This separation, this refusal to put John Mark back in position, some disagree with it. They say, Barnabas, Barnabas is right. Ask me which one I think. You're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. See, Minister Monique, but she's looking at me like, no, see, I think Barnabas should have took him back. Uh-uh, you're going to learn today. It's good to hear the opposing side, and I weigh it, but I always lean towards. Go on. Go on over there. Because this consequence, you need. And you need the Lord to teach you better than I can. And apparently, the Lord taught this to John Mark so well that on Paul's dying day, the one he knew was ready was John. Out of everybody else that couldn't have been ready, out of everybody else that could have had what it took, John Mark had what it took, and that's who Paul called. I stand by my decisions. Stand beside him. It's hard for compassionate people to have this role. This is why they don't. Because all compassion go out the window when you see what the Lord is doing and you know his nature. You know this is temporary. You know all is not lost. You know God can resurrect. You don't fear. Right? He'll stay the hand. 
He'll stop your hand before you kill Isaac. Fret not. But what we're going to do, we're going to go all the way with this. Walk it on out. It's a necessity. Because when they come back, woo-wee, they come back. I love the Lord. I love this church. I love my pastor. I love my family. I love everybody. What you need me to do, I'll do it. I love God. For him, I live. For Christ, I die. That's it. And we all be like. They leave, they come back, we be like, yes, yes. They went out there and learned some stuff. <laughs> they did, bore some consequences. Came back grateful. We need that. Came back fired up versus you sitting there. No consequence bearing, no fire, making problems or stuff. They ain't even real problems. Oh, my God, I didn't like how they talked to me. Oh, That's your biggest problem? I don't like how they talk to me. Oh, my God. Please, give me somebody off the streets. <laughs> give me somebody from these streets to understand. That's not a big problem. They don't talk to you right. That's fine. Let's move on. Love on them. Keep going. That's what I, Yes. Yes. God, let's move on. Let's move on. It's fine. It's cool. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> that was a good stretch mistake, was it not? It's a good stretch mistake. And it's important that you learn that some things have to be in process. Some of your learning is a process. You're not supposed to get it overnight, nor are you. But this is not, if you're not afraid to fail, you'll recognize it. You'll recognize it. So I got that wrong a little bit. Okay, not a problem. I'm gonna get them next time. You got that wrong? I got that wrong? Yes. Dang it. If I got that wrong, then how I'm not, I ever think I could get wrong. I could always get stuff wrong. I can never hear God's voice. How do I even know I'm supposed to be a Christian? How do I even know that it's supposed to work for me? See? See? Some things are a process. And salvation and being used by God is a learning process. The only thing me and the Spirit of the Lord needs you to do is not give up. Just don't give up. He's got it from there. He's got it from there. Just don't quit. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, last one. High stakes. <sighs> High stakes mistakes. Thankfully, nobody in this church has any high stakes mistakes that are given to them. Yet. The first that will have these high-stake mistakes is Minister Monifa and Minister Hudson. After them, once they are relicensed, MIT uh, Jewel and MIT Gabrielle. Past them, Mama Jean, Mother Belle. Everybody else, you got time. You got time. You got time. All right? But the thing here is, don't make high stakes in my church. Don't put stuff on the line that I didn't give you to put on the line. You about to involve somebody else? Well, I feel like it's important that I tell him. Tell him what? Tell him, tell him what? what you, why we got to involve him in this? This your, this your situation. This is what the Lord dealing with you with. Tell him. It's not a good time for you to tell him that. This is a high risk that you don't even know going to happen. Because you don't know him. 
you don't know her. You don't know their season. You're going to mess something up. Somebody's going to get a nail in the eye. It's going to be because of you. So what we need to do is reduce these stakes. It's like I need to have a conversation. Hmm, converse with what? No. Take it to the Lord. <laughs> All right. High stakes as we leave this place. Having conquered our fear of mistakes. Are you conquering this as we go? All of these great people made mistakes. All of them were reused by God. All of them have wonderful testimonies. We celebrate and praise God for them. Mistakes are a necessity. They're a necessity to growth. Let's look at Peter. Peter chapter 18. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a story about Peter, but it's John. Sorry. (laughs) It's John chapter 18. St. John, chapter 18. High stakes mistakes. Peter was one of the 12 disciples, all right? If you had to know Peter, he was loud and impetuous. He had a big personality. When he walked in the room, everybody knew Peter was there. Ha, 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 man, what's up? That's what I'm talking about, man. That's what's up. All right, then. How you doing? All right, all right. That's Peter. Everybody knew when Peter walked in. He wasn't quiet, all right? He said it with his chest. He had a little bit of a history. He was very zealous, and he was a part of the Jewish sect that believed in stabbing people. They did. He's he, 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 he like, we saved, but not that we did a different kind of save. They were like the Jewish army militants, you know, who won it with the, with the high priest? Who won it? You know, <laughs> that's what he was about. You know, yeah, the priests be preaching and the prophets be prophesying, but at the end of the day, <laughs> somebody about to get these hands. Peter, I'm sure, was like, yes, finally, these are my people. That's what I'm talking about. I found where I belong. All right, this is Peter. So when Peter starts following Jesus, this is a whole different ball game. So who who, who we fighting? No, no, not fighting nobody. We just, we're just going to heal people, Peter, and we're going to open blind eyes, and we're going to talk to them. We're going to minister to them, and we're going to love on them, and it's going to be beautiful. Peter's like, so, and then, and then when your kingdom reigns, <laughs> then that's why you got, that's why I'm here, because when it go down, uh, I got you. I'm standing in the background. You had all that sweet, nice stuff. You could tell Peter was in the back just intimidating folk. <laughs> Knocking kids in the head. Move that little kid, by the way. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> As loud and as somewhat aggressive as he was, he was the only disciple willing to try to walk on water. He was the only one that was like, I know that's you. Let's do it. And nobody has done it since. And even though he sank, he still did it. I've been trying it forever. Every summer, I try to walk on water. At my dad's pool, 
at the clubhouse pool, the pool in Seychelles. Never works. But I try. Peter did it and was successful. He was also the first to call Jesus Christ, the son of God. This impetuous nature that he had, this ambitious and sometimes extremely impulsive nature, when it worked, it worked well. I mean, he came through. You understand? People was like, dang, son of God. He's the son of God. Dang, Peter, how'd you know that? You know, I'm just saying, I just knew. I felt it in my spirit. You know, he's the son of God. I knew it. it, was, it, it. That's what's, what's up, Peter? That's what I'm talking about. Only the Holy Spirit would give you that. That's what I know it, man. The Holy Spirit gave me that. So thanks. <laughs> As Jesus' ministry began to come to a close on earth, and he was in Jerusalem, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter was so ambitious and passionate. He was like, no, I'm not. Absolutely not. I'm with you. Okay? These other folk, now they're a little flim flame, especially that Thomas over here. He's a little, you know, he flim, always flaky. I heard dudes in the background whispering about you. I ain't going to say nothing. But I got your back. Jesus said, now you're going to deny me three times before the crow crows three times. And he was right. Peter denied him. Dang it. Very high highs. Very low lows. Emotions make him successful, and emotions take him under. But because emotions take him to high places, it seems like when he falls low, there's always a high stake. Peter was a natural-born leader. No matter where you put him or her, Pedet, okay, he or she was always going to inspire people, always going to get people to move in a certain direction, right? That's what they did. That's what he was about. Okay, let's go to, what does it say, John 18? Yeah. All right, so chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus came across the disciples, and uh, when they got done praying, the soldiers and this mob led by Judas came to get Jesus, came to pick him up, to lock him up, to put him on trial. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, this is verse 4, came forward to the crowd and said to them, who do you seek? I love John 18's version of this, okay? And this is the reason why I love it. It's a, it's a phrase coming up. Jesus said to them, who do you seek? It's a big mob, spears, batons, just ready to take him. They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. In Greek, he just says, I am. Right? Judas, who had betrayed them, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. The he is added. But the original text, he just says, I am. Echoing back to the name of God as I am. And when he said it, it was so powerful that every believer of God there drew back and fell today. They could feel the authority in him saying it. God. Let me tell you something. I am. Well, man, dang it. Oh, I feel it. Mufasa. 
Unfortunately, that was not enough to stop their wicked plan. But it was enough to haunt them for the rest of their lives. Because were we not stirred when he said, I am? Even after their role in this had been done, I'm sure they were thinking, something about that. They still arrested Jesus, right? He says, I am. And then Simon Peter, verse 10, having a sword, makes sense, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name is Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Stop right there. Peter had a sword. Now, again, a couple chapters earlier in the other gospels, Jesus was telling them, you know, when I leave, there's going to be a lot of persecution. And I used to tell you, don't take any money with you. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. He said, but now you need to take some money and take some extra clothes. You need to take a sword. And they were like, swords. We got swords. We've got two of them. That's enough. You don't need, you don't need no more than two. That's because like, we can get some more. We can get an army going. No, that's not how this is going to go down. But I'm just letting you know there's going to be the presence of violence. So Peter has his sword. He's like, this is the time right now. Oh, I was ready. All that sweet niceness, all that, oh, heal the sick, let open the blind eyes. It's about to go down today. I'm ready. Yes. I am he. I knew it. Slice. Peter. You could just look at just go, Peter. What? And Peter got this sword. And now, uh, <laughs> Other parts of the gospel share different things, okay? Uh, one statement in, in Matthew says, Jesus told Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? Now, that's a lot of statements. Coupled with the other one, right, that he said to, to Peter, you know, put your sword away. And that's enough. Put your sword away. I got to drink this cup. Okay, this means that after Peter cut the man's ear off, he was standing there. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Peter, 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 Peter. Hey, Peter, Peter. Think about this. Put the sword down. Put it into its sheath. Peter, how? How can I reject the cup that the Father is telling me to drink? You know who I am. I could call down legions of angels if I wanted to, Peter. Think, put the sword down. This is an emotionally intense situation. This ain't just slice, ooh, ooh, no. It was like, ooh, 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 everybody, stop. Whoa, Peter, shh, shh. <laughs> This is a summation of everything he's been putting together in his own mind that has not been true. It is so hard to talk somebody off a ledge when for three years they've been wrongly putting things together. Just putting dots together, dots together, dots together. I need to do this, Pastor. This is how it's supposed to happen. I know you don't understand, but I just feel like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, baby. You don't understand. It's always been like that in my life, but I just do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Breathe. <laughs> you hear me say, take a deep breath. Breathe. I tell y'all this all the time. Whoa. Calm down. 
You don't understand. I've been waiting for this moment. This is not the moment. This is, this is not the moment. This is not the how. This is, Mr. Monifa, put the gun away. Put the pin back in the grenade. In a minute. No, no minutes. Pastor, I'm great. Call him. Don't call nobody. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down. Go, don't go down. Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Bump this. I'm, blah, blah, blah. No, don't flip nothing. Calm. And at this point, Jesus has to reason because Peter has just made one high stake mistake. And if Jesus does not get through to him, he will make many more. Peter stands on the precipice of being Paul for the Christian church when Paul was Saul. Fighting on behalf of Christianity, destroying the very people that they were supposed to win, injuring the very people that they were supposed to be a light to. That's paramount. One high stake mistake needs to stop, unlike David, who continued to make multiple time after time again. But in order for this to stop, Christ has to intercede. He has to come in and say, hey, calm down. For years now, you've been putting things together that don't go together. For years, you've been thinking that God is this way, and he's not. For years, you've been thinking that it's your responsibility because God only helps those that help himself. No, that's not in the Bible. Those don't go together. For years, you were taught that you had to be by yourself, and sometimes you got to walk alone. No, you don't. That doesn't go together. Hello? It's just all these things that you've been putting together for years and years and years and years. And the Spirit of the Lord has to come in and say, hey, calm. You're about to make a mistake that we can't afford for the kingdom. We need to unravel some of these things. The process of Peter coming to grips with this after one tragic mistake. Number one, Christ put the ear, man's ear back on. <laughs> then later, all the next mistakes that Peter made was about denying Christ. That's how it goes. Isn't it? When God doesn't let you do what you thought you needed to do, the way you've been thinking you needed to do it, the way you've been preparing, the way you need to prepare, the way you've been envisioning how it's going to go down, and he say absolutely no, and you go, well, just forget everything then. I don't even know God. I don't even know this Christianity thing. Just, just forget the whole thing. Now, this is not high stakes. This is just sloppy work. And I thank God for that. Because this particular sloppiness, God already knew you were going to make. You don't want to hear me. He already knew you were going to get frustrated with what he was doing. God already knew you were going to get frustrated and agitated with what he was doing and how he wanted to use you in a way that you did not want to be used that way. I want to be used in another way, not this way. This is the way it's very uncomfortable for me. But he knew. He knew. He knew. High stakes mistakes. After this, Peter denied Christ three times. This is sloppy. Now I'm unsure about everything. You out here getting beat up. Look at them spitting on you. We didn't have to go this way. We could have handled this so much easier. 
You just said you could call down legions. Why for you didn't call down them legions? So this is the kind of stuff we don't want to admit. I know you could make this easier for me, God. I know you could make this easier for me, God. I know you could have changed this somehow, and yet you are choosing that me and you go through this the hardest way imaginable. Why? Why? Because God has to train something out of you. And it's not going to be trained out easy. It can only come out hard. I know that's, hard, that's difficult to hear, but it's true. You are a high-stakes individual. You have passionate highs and dangerously passionate lows. You know I'm talking to you, right? And in these cases, you have to be trained how to handle your passionate lows. Because those are the ones that cause problems. The shutdowns, the walkaways, the depressions, the oppressions the silences, the forget everything, the throw it all away, the flip over the tables. Those are the ones that cost you the most in God's kingdom. It costs us, not just you. We're on that roller coaster with you. You'll be like, yeah, you're so powerful. Praise the Lord. And then, okay, never mind. Okay, go get him. All right, nope, okay, never mind. Just, just do whatever you need to do. We'll be here. And we're all riding this with you. And at some point, the Lord needs to work on that low. So Peter's denial of Christ had to work on this low. It had to say, but I thought I loved you. But will you love me even if you can't do the things that you think you need to do the way you think you need to do them? Can you love me if the love that you need to show is that you sacrifice yourself, that you don't defend yourself when you could defend yourself, that you don't protect yourself when you should protect yourself, that you do it all because you love me? You're going, no. I thought that me loving you also entailed me protecting me and you. I got to protect us. Like Uzza, put my hand to the ark. No, no, no. You did not learn from David's sloppy mistake. You can't try to save God. I'm trying to protect God because people don't know you, God. Like I know you. So I'm, I'm, what I'm doing, I'm going to show them how you. No, don't do it. No. This all had to be worked out in Peter. Three denials of Christ. What does that mean? I thought I loved you. Then you knew that I was going to do it, and, you, and I still did it, even though I knew that you said I was going to do it. And, but the situations to which I did it, I didn't even know. It was, I thought, I'm like, ooh, do you know God? I was like, no, I don't know Jesus. But it didn't go that way. It was like the woman at the wall, like she just asked me at the door, of course I'm going to say no so I can get in. <laughs> Duh. And then the next one, I was going to say yes, but then there was a situation because they were really looking at me, and that was the only that time. And then the third time, all right, all right. On each case, you had a specific excuse that you thought was different than the last excuse. Come to find out, it's all the same heart. The same heart problem has taken you down every time. It's not a different one. It's the same one. It's the same passionate low that takes you down. At the end of the story with Peter, Jesus appears to him, of all the 12, the first. He knew. Let me go get Peter. Because if God does not restore you, you can't be restored. This is what's different with high-stake leaders. Their passionate lows, they can only be restored by God himself. 
He can only, he's the only one that can show you, but I'm going to use it. You could hear it all day, but until he shows it to you himself, you won't believe it. So God, Christ came, showed Peter, restored Peter. And do you know what happened next? Peter became the leader of all the disciples. All 12, all the thousands, led the first preached evangelist message of 3,000 souls saved. He became the top disciple. Remember the sons of Zebedee fighting over who was going to be? It wasn't either one of them. It was Peter. Peter the denier. Peter the impetuous one. Peter the emotional one. Peter that always has highs and always has terrible lows. Peter that struggles with depression. Peter that struggles with oppression. Peter that had thoughts of suicide. Peter that wanted to give up. Peter that wanted to quit. Peter that didn't understand how it was working. Peter that didn't believe in himself. Peter that didn't understand how God could use him. It was always Peter. God has purpose in that high stake leader standing. He has purpose in that high stake leader. He has purpose in that high stake leader. He has purpose in you. Sloppy mistakes, high stake mistakes, aha mistakes, and stretch mistakes. Where are you today? Where are you today? Which type of mistake is dominant in your life right now? Come on, let's pray for just a couple of seconds. We've got to go, but I believe we can pray and then we need to take communion. Which mistake is dominant? Am I at a season of sloppy mistakes? I'm not staying focused. My emotions are moving. Is it high stake mistakes? I'm putting a lot of things on the line that I shouldn't be. Which mistake is most dominant? Am I being stretched? I've learned some things, but now I see God is causing me to, to try to do some other things that I haven't learned to do, and it frightens me. Can you take courage today? The altar is open for those who are asking the Spirit of the Lord to give them courage. Courage to make mistakes courage to fail if you're a person that never learned how to swim you need to be at this altar <laughs> it's funny but it's true if you're a person that never learned how to ride a bike you need to be at this altar if you're a person that never learned how to skate you need to be at this altar this is oh my goodness look at the world <laughs> All these people, y'all deal with fear. What the, what the, what? Y'all deal with so much fear. So much fear. So much fear. If those of you that are not at this altar because you've learned how to do these things, you know one thing, you can conquer it. But y'all, that's too much fear. You non-swimmers, you can stand up. You non-cyclists, put your foot down. Brace yourself. Roller skaters, get one of them little push cart things they give you. What is, what is wrong with you? Fear. Fear. Fear has imprisoned you, and we need the Father to give us courage. I can't tell you not to be afraid. I can tell you to take courage in spite of your fear. Come on, let the Lord deliver you today. 
Let the spirit of the Lord deliver you from the chains of being afraid to fail, the chains of being afraid to try, the chains of being afraid to get it wrong. Let the Lord deliver you. Only he can. Only he can. Come on, ask the spirit of the Lord. Give me courage. Give me courage. I failed so much. Give me courage to try again. I don't know why I can't put it together, but give me courage. You don't have to make me not afraid. Just make my love for you greater than my fear. Let me see the value of the kingdom of God that motivates me beyond my fear. Let me see the need of the kingdom that is so great that is greater than my fear. Let me see the brokenhearted that push me beyond my fear. Let me see the loss that will give me courage in spite of my fear. You don't have to remove the fear, just give me courage. Give me courage. Give me courage. Come on, talk to the Lord in your own language for just this, in your own words. Come on, for just a couple of seconds, Father, hear our cry. Come on, talk to him and tell him, ask him in your own words. Ask for forgiveness for any true mistakes that could have been avoided. Reconcile your mind around those stretch mistakes. Set your feet to have courage around the types of mistakes that come with learning. Ask the Father to surround you with people that love you and will support you in your mistakes. Ask him to give you people that will speak wisdom and encouragement and tell you to keep trying, baby. Keep trying. Keep pressing. Keep pressing. Keep running. Keep running. Ask him to surround you with people like that. Determine to be that in somebody else's life. I'm a high stakes mistake maker, God. My emotional highs for you take me so high. And then when I'm low, I go so low. Heal me. Heal me. Restore me to my rightful position. And let me try again. For all of my mistakes without focus, for all of my mistakes out of emotion, forgive me. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.